Welcome to the Unfiltered Teacher Podcast, an honest commentary about teaching from a 29-year veteran teacher who has recently retired. Why is that important? Because I can speak about the truth in teaching without repercussions. Join me as we talk about the real side of teaching. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to be here today. And the topic for today is quiet quitting. And I've done a little research on this, looked at some Reddit threads and read some articles. And I thought, what a great topic for this time in education. Our podcast has changed a little bit. It is me flying solo. My daughter has so many things going on that it just was more feasible to do this podcast as one person instead of trying to find something that would go with her schedule. So I changed the name because it's no longer two teachers to love my lesson. And that is actually what I have everything tagged is. My Teachers Pay Teacher Store is Love My Lesson. My webpage is Love My Lesson. My Gmail account is Love My Lesson. My Twitter username is Love My Lesson. So if you want to find me, that's where I am. I also have a Facebook group for parents, so please feel free to share my Facebook group I have for parents that is all about gifted kids and high-achieving kids, and I just put in resources. I think that it's so important parents have resources for their kids because most people in education feel like gifted kids have everything they need. Oh, that kid's going to be fine. And that's really just not the case. So if you want to check out that group on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash groups slash gifted or high achieving. And of course, there's no spaces in any of that. So I hope you check out my other social media. Uh, I'm doing better about posting and putting things out there. but always trying to improve for sure. If if you're in education, you know there has been a huge exodus in teaching. So many teachers packed up their classrooms last year and they were just done. They've left the profession and I was one of those teachers. I wanted to make it to 30 years, but unfortunately, 21 29 was the best I could do. And so I'm wondering if quiet quitting was even an option for me. And to be honest, I really don't think it was. But I know there are a lot of teachers out there struggling, trying to decide, is this what I want to continue to do? And teachers in their heart, I know most teachers, I'm going to say 85%, that's my professional guesstimate, is they want to do what they love. They really have a passion for teaching, and they really work on the craft of educating, engaging, taking care of those little people in their classrooms. And my point of view is always from elementary, but it's getting so hard. It really, really is to live your life, to have a family, to do things outside of school, and be a teacher. There are about 300,000 public school teachers and other staff related to the school that have left 
this school setting between February 2020 and May 2022. That's about 3% drop in the workforce. And that stat is from the Bureau of Labor Statistics data. Teachers are getting worn down by the challenges of teaching. More and more educators are saying they're considering leaving teaching. 55% of teachers say they are going to leave education sooner than planned. And for me, I totally, totally fit in that category. So when we're talking about quiet quitting, in my mind, I'm wondering, is this going to be a possibility for teachers? Hey, look, I'm retired. And as I said in the intro, unfiltered people, I am going to say what I think. And I'm not going to be afraid of repercussions like I was when I was a teacher. You could not be honest. And so I'm wondering, why is it that CEO, or in some cases your admin, can just deem role teachers? One of the most wonderful people I worked with was Miss Mary, and I loved teaching with Mary. And she always said, you know, high school doesn't have to do the same things that elementary does because the majority of teachers or many of the teachers are male and men will speak up for themselves and they will say, nope, not doing it much more quickly than women will. And I do think that's a problem in elementary. There are so many things that elementary teachers have to do that high school teachers and middle school teachers do not have to do. And I think some of it's because we don't stand up for ourselves. When we talk about quiet quitting, I want you to think for a moment. Our students already been quietly quitting since COVID. And I think you're going to find that the answer is yes. First of all, I think the, the online resources are just not comparable. They do not do justice to what students get in the classroom. That being said, I think for a very small minority, online is better, but those kids are self-motivated learners and those parents are very supportive and they have the time to invest in their child's education. But I do believe the majority of students have been quietly quitting since COVID. It's been a hard path to travel, not only for students, but for parents and teachers as well. When I think about teachers quietly quitting, I think about working during school hours. Now, maybe I should have defined quiet quitting. Maybe that's where I should have started. And what is called quiet quitting is just doing what you're paid to do, not doing extra. And I think in, in our world today, teachers really need to consider this because for too long, we've been spending our own money and volunteering hours that we just don't get paid for. So let's get back to working during school hours. Teachers are salary. We sign a contract, but how many hours should that be? You know, when I signed my contract, it, it was for and other assigned duties. What other contract in the United States leaves an open loophole like that where they can just assign anything to you and say, well, hey, your contract says maybe teachers unions need to address that first because you you shouldn't be signing a, a contract that just leaves you open to anything they say they want you to do through the school year. Those terms should be locked down and clear. So that would be my first recommendation. 
I always got to school early, so I always donated a good hour of my time in the morning before school ever started. That helped keep me sane, and I, I would not do it any other way. It was quiet at school. I got there before most teachers got there. The copier was always available. The laminator was always available. It was quiet, and there weren't a lot of teachers roaming around, so I wasn't tempted to visit. And that worked for me. But as soon as the clock hit that time that I was allowed to leave, I left. And to be honest, any principal that is hardcore, no, you have to stay here until 4.33, that principal does not know what he or she is doing. That's ridiculous. Most teachers spend time outside of the school day. I would have to say 95% of the teachers spend time outside the school day or stay late because they there's so much to do to support kids. And so, you know what? If you have your duty done for the end of the day, go ahead and leave. I, I think that's the way principals should handle that. Give a little goodwill toward the people who work for you because five or 10 minutes is not going to make or break your school. A little soapbox there. Some of the recommendations I found on the internet and specifically a teacher rant on Reddit which I thought was fantastic. She said, limit your clerical work. And I totally agree with this. I, I would have to say clerical work takes up way too much time. That is time when you're doing something on paper that is not with the kids. One of the things that I spent the most time on was grading. And I will tell you, when I taught elementary, our district had common assessments that took, I someone figured it up and it was like 70 hours of grading. And it was ridiculous. Did we use it for any information? Absolutely not. It would take us like a month to grade that thing. The kids have already moved on. It's not going to help direct my teaching whatsoever. So grading, you know, it has to be fast and it has to be in that moment. It has to be something that you're getting feedback on your students immediately. So you can direct your teaching the very next day. And I will have to tell you that even though I wasn't in the classroom anymore, I was so inspired. I'm going to call this Caswell style grading because it's inspired by a teacher. Her last name's Caswell. And it is brilliant. So what she does is she has a clipboard and she writes down all of the areas that are going to be graded, all the objectives for the report card for that quarter. And as kids are working on things, she goes around and she marks a plus or a check, depending on if they have mastered it or not. And she will just look at one problem or two problems or maybe three problems. But, you know, she's looking for the answer. So say it's math. Kids are doing five problems. Maybe they're doing 10 taught that they're practicing whatever skill that she's assessing and she goes around and she maybe picks two or three out of that she looks them over and she gives it a plus or check and you can take grades on that like 10 days in a row and the kids are not going to be burnt out on doing that maybe it's your morning warm-up hey guys do these three problems on the board how easy is that? And I am not taking home papers and papers and papers to grade. So that is one way 
to look at grading. It could also be a fill in the blank, you know? Hey, guys, answer these five questions. And you're looking at questions three, four, five for that specific objective and marking it on your chart. So very easy. Uh, it could be with a warm-up. It could be with an exit ticket. I know exit tickets are big ways of assessment. At least our district really, really pushed those. And you've easily got, you know, 10, 10 checkpoints, 10 quick and dirty assessments like that. I would feel very comfortable grading a child on a report card. Does she do it on a computer? No, she took around her clipboard and easy peasy. I just love how far this lady is. And to be honest, she's been teaching for quite a while. But if everyone would figure out how can I assess this in the moment? And when I did this in my classroom, one of the things I would do, we would be doing answers to questions. I, I loved doing leveled questions with literacy. I would put together an article and and they would answer questions that were harder and harder as they went on. So this way, I could give my spec child just two questions one and two, or just two questions one, two, and three. My gifted kids, let's start from the back and go five, four, three, two, one. I want you working on those meatier questions first. So I, I found that really beneficial. And what I loved about that is I would go around and I would grade in the moment. I would start if it was correct. But if they totally missed the boat, just had no idea what the answer should be and a lot of them were open-ended answers so I could I would take several answers not just one because that's a higher level thinking I would mark the question with the star if it was correct or a check mark if it was wrong now I could still take data for the report card that way but also the child that check mark they're like oh no no she didn't I've got to fix this because I could easily turn a check mark back into a star so the kids learned from their mistakes and went on in their thinking that's what I love about grading in the moment and taking that data right then and there. Curriculum planning and lessons took a lot of my time when I taught gifted. And this goes with your district. If your district does not have quality curriculum, I think you need to be going to your teacher's union and saying, I can't do my job because the district isn't doing theirs. I know several teachers did not have the reading curriculum they needed. Our district switched math curriculums, I want to say at least three times in the last 15 years. Well, how do you get really good at your craft when you're having to learn a new curriculum over and over again? So again, I, I really think that has to go into negotiations at this point because too many districts are not doing what they need to do to support teachers and therefore support children. Curriculum planning, I would divide it up in the grade level. And again, this is this is elementary. You know, high school has like maybe two preps. Elementary has at least five to seven every single day. So if, if I was in a fifth grade level cohort, I would say, give me the literacy block. I will work on articles and questions and the objectives we need to be covering. But maybe my good friend Emily needs to be working on the math block because that I'm, I'm okay at math. I'm good at math. I've taught algebra to third graders, okay? But it's not my passion. And I know Emily will bring it like nobody else.
I'm also going to suggest that teachers use that plan time. And, you know, this is an easy area where we get to talking with teachers we work with, and it can be a huge time waster to get caught up in something that doesn't particularly produce results. And I tell you what, my good friend Kimberly is a master in this area. She is able to carry on a conversation while grading papers and doing all the things. And I would always be kind of jealous because I would be sitting in there visiting with her and she would be getting a ton of work done. And then I would go back to my room and I was in the same spot I was when I left. Nothing was finished. So don't feel guilty about closing your door and using that plan period. I personally feel that teachers need to be the one to decide on when they have a grade level collab. Teachers need to be the ones to decide when they have to meet with the instructional coach. And teachers need to be the ones to decide what they need from the instructional coach. I think too many coaches out there that I've seen are just pumping out information that the district wants you to cover, and it's a huge waste of time. Teachers, you know it. We all know it. You're sitting in a staff meeting, and it is something that could have been covered in an email. How many memes are on the internet, on Facebook, about, gee, this could have been sent in an email? So I really think teachers need to be more vocal, and that's uncomfortable. I know that. But principals, if they really care, they would be asking teachers for feedback on the PD they do in staff meetings. Now, I know some things have to be done from the, for CO. I, I know some things have to be done for central office. And I understand principals are in that position where they have to follow through on that. But I will tell you right now, the best principals I ever had protected us from central office because they knew the job we were doing in the classroom and they weren't going to weigh us down with nonsense from somebody who hasn't been in the classroom for over 10 years. Think about saying no to favors outside of work. And, and I will say, as much as I loved my students, I did not I did not go to games and tournaments and practices outside of school because for the majority of time that I was a teacher, I had my own kids. And so I did not have the energy to take care of my children and someone else's children. So I think it's fair for teachers not to go to all the games and things like that. It has to be what you decide, and, and some teachers love to be out and doing all the time, or some teachers see the payoff of investing in that relationship with that child more important, and I could see that side absolutely, but I don't think it should be expected for teachers to attend things like that, and, and sometimes parents do expect it, and I think that needs to stop. Spending your own money outside of school we all, I mean, if you walk into a classroom that looks well put together and cute, you know, a teacher has sunk at least $200 into that of her own money or his money. And they've been up two weeks before school started on their own time 
not enjoying the end of their summer vacation to try to get their classroom ready. I'm sorry, but why aren't we negotiating through our teacher union for that work time in the classroom? It takes at least three days to get a classroom together. So why aren't teachers given the three days to put their classroom together on paid time because it is part of their job instead of watching, I don't know, 40 hours of PD videos that they send you before school starts and they want them done like the first week of school and it's all cover your own ass stuff. We're being honest here. Remember, no filter. It's cover your own ass stuff that the district puts out so that they can't be sued. Do I know how not to slip, trip, or fall? Yes, I do. Am I going to stand on a chair to hang my cute little decorations from the ceiling? Probably. Another recommendation off this Reddit rant was don't bring in personal items to school. And I thought, what? I need a coffee maker. And that was not the point. The point was, don't bring in your personal speakers. Don't bring in your own laptop. Don't bring in your own iPad. Those type of things that the school does not provide. If you needed to do your job, the school needs to provide it. Something else to consider is no more guilt-driven actions or peer pressure. Just because the gal across the hall has cute little name tags for every desk, and you've never taught with those and don't feel like you need those, but you don't want the parents to see her as a better teacher, don't, don't fall for that. Don't fall for it. And how many of us have a lot of us, I think? There are times I've done things because I didn't want to be seen as the person who's not going along with the plan. But I'll be honest, when I'm the person with 17 years of teaching, and some first-year teacher is trying to tell me what to do, I wish I would have stood up to her because it made my life miserable. Every recommendation I gave to try to mentor her, a nightmare. And so we shouldn't have to conform to peer pressure, and we shouldn't have to do things because we were guilted into it. It's okay for you to say, no, that is fair. What can teachers be more honest about? This is a big question. As I was trying to decide, what do I want to talk about? This one had the most bullet points under it because I feel like a lot of districts, not all of them, but a lot of districts are no longer honest. Think about it. Can you be honest in your district? Can you go up to someone from CO and say, hey, this reading program you gave me, it's not working. And I'm a, you know, I've been teaching for over 20 years. I know what a good literacy program looks like, and this isn't it. You know, I had a friend. We'll call her, I don't know, Caroline. And Caroline had the best reading scores for the fifth grade in the entire district on our state test. The math. For us in Missouri, it's called the math test. And do you know not one person came down to ask her how she was teaching? Not one person came to observe her classroom? Nobody. No one from central office. Not even her own principal came down to say, hey, you're doing something magical 
I want to know what it is. I find that to be educational malpractice because if you're in CO or if you're an administrator and you don't check into what your teachers are doing that are amazing, then you need to do something else because you're not being a leader. Is the instructional coach helpful? I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Out of all the instructional coaches I've seen in, let's say, probably my district used instructional coaches for a good 20 years of my career. I'm going to say 20 years of my career. And I can think of two that were helpful to me. Two that I would go to when I had something I needed to do better, find a better way, learn about, that type of a thing. One of them I never even worked under. I just used her as a classroom teacher, and she's now a an instructional coach, and she's amazing, but teachers don't know how to use her. I went to her all the time for her wisdom, and, you know, when I was going to her, she maybe had five years in the classroom, whereas I was looking at over 20, but she was a natural teacher. Katie, you know I'm talking about you. And she was amazing. And she is someone I would consider an instructional coach, even though she didn't have the job at the time. And the other person I thought was pretty amazing was our data person for the district. So I would go to her to ask questions that fell into data and how to look at data for kids on not the not the grade level tests, good Lord no, but on some of the other tests that we would do, um, like we would do the star test for reading and we would do star math for math. It has to be nationally normed. If it's made in your district, that does not have the value that you're looking for. And that tells me right there, your district is not interested in putting money into something that helps the kids. You know, you might be asking yourself, why is my district investing money in new playgrounds when we don't have the curriculum we need. Playgrounds are important. I'm not gonna lie about that. Kids need to get that energy burned off, but every teacher shouldn't have to go out there and look for something that works so that their kids learn. Is the staff meeting helpful? I, I think that's fair to look at that. And I think it's fair for teachers to say, you know what, that didn't help me at all today to become a new teacher, to become a better teacher. I can't tell you how many staff meetings that I've sat through that just were not helpful and a waste of my time. In my district where I worked, the sad thing is, is that teachers asked, like our staff asked to have staff meetings because for a while we weren't having hardly any. And we just wanted a monthly nuts and bolts staff meeting. And the district kicked us in the ass took advantage, and we were meeting every single week. It felt like half the time they were trying to make something up for us, make something up for us to meet about. And I don't think staff meetings have to be every week. That's nonsense. If you don't trust your teachers to do their job, then maybe they do need to be every week. But if your teachers, if you hire good teachers who are passionate about teaching and who are looking for the answers to their questions, 
their problems, their needs, then you don't need to meet every week. That's common sense. I think it's common sense. So if, if no one's asking, was the staff meeting helpful? Obviously, no one cares. And why are we having it if no one cares? Is the PD helpful? Where are the outside resources? So I can't tell you how many times I've gone to one of those train the trainer type of PDs where someone got to go outside the district, they got to listen to national speakers, they got the excitement, the new ideas, and then they brought it back to the district and they tried to teach a mass group of teachers. And I will tell you, no, it's not the same. First of all, there has rarely, I, I can't even think of a time where someone has come back to the district, shared information, and got me excited about that topic. And I'll be honest with you, if I go and listen to the same speaker, I'm going to come back, I'm going to come up with different ideas that fit my classroom. And it's going to be me using those ideas in my classroom that get other teachers excited when they see what I'm doing. But it certainly has never come from a train the trainer type of situation. We need to be sending teachers to state and national conferences. That's where our PD needs to go to. That's where that PD money needs to go to. It It's not about sending the select few chosen ones who aren't even in the classroom anymore to go to these incredible speakers and then just bring us a watered down version. I feel like that's an insult to my intelligence. And to be honest, some of the people who give those PDs are assigned to do it, but that's not their passion, and that it could be something that they're just not good at, and that's okay, but don't make all of us suffer through their PD when it was assigned to them, and that's not something that they excel at. Why are we having this assembly? I'm sorry, but that takes away learning time. I can't tell you how many times we've sat through an assembly that's just not necessary. Why can't it be a little five to 10 minute blurb of a video we show to the entire class in the morning and done? If you're trying to do a fundraiser, send me a video. I'll show it. Promise. Done. Don't make me sit through a 30 minute to hour assembly about selling chocolate and the safety of who you're going to ask. That's that's such a waste of my time. I know it's important. I know PTA does so much for their schools, and you have to respect that because those moms are giving their time. Those moms and dads are giving their time to help make that school a better place. But don't, don't take away teaching time. So I, I think teachers need to be saying, why are we having this assembly? Why are we doing this? Is this more important than my teaching time? And I was thinking the other day, of course I'm retired, but I was thinking, hmm, how many times do I wish I could have spoke to my principal and said, permission to speak freely, sir, or permission to speak freely, ma'am, because depending on how touchy your principal is, there are things that they just consider you being disrespectful about when you're actually pretty passionate about it, pretty invested about it, and you've got some common sense ideas that they're just not willing to listen to. 
also permission to speak freely, you know, just like the military, because I think sometimes we're put in a situation that feels a lot like the military. Don't question it. Don't make any comments about it. You certainly can't make a negative comment about it and just do what you're told. That's not treating teachers as a professional, is it? And I think in some circumstances, that's how teachers are being treated. And it's not okay. So find your go-to people in the district. Like I was talking about my friend Emily. She was my math person. Um, my friend Mary, she was the person who trained me in all things gifted. She got me started in different groups and organizations that focused on gifted, and I really appreciated her in my life. Um, my friend Katie, who was just downright common sense, and I, I felt like anything I worked on with Katie, it was better, and I really appreciated that about her. Those are my go-to people in the district, and you've got to find your go-to people, because otherwise you're going to be wasting your, wasting your time trying to track down answers. And let's face it, teaching already takes up a hell of a lot of time. My last recommendation, or my last thing to think about, is get on first-name basis with your union rep. I belong to NEA. I don't care who you belong to, but you've got to get on first-name basis with that person. I, looking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Looking back, I really wish I would have got that person, the president of our NEA group, that person's text number, and I wish I would have been texting them all year. I did not feel comfortable being a part of negotiations because my boss was the CO representative for negotiations, and I felt like there could be repercussions. I'm just going to be honest. I did not feel comfortable putting myself in that position. Chances are, you know, there wouldn't have been, but I wasn't willing to take that chance. If you feel comfortable being part of negotiations, elementary, you've got to represent. High school and middle school are really good about getting people on that team, um, going to the district and asking for what they need. Elementary, we're not as good at it. We just take the status quo. So get involved, please. Elementary teachers are brilliant. They're so hardworking, but it's it's not going to happen for you. What you need is not going to happen if you don't start asking for it in a way that is well documented and that's in a group. Because, friends, there are safety in numbers. Think about joining your negotiating team, but definitely get the president's text number on speed dial so that you can tell your NEA president, hey, why is it we go out for recess duty? And high school teachers don't have a duty like that. Why don't we have people hired to do that so that I can be a better teacher and plan? Something to think about. Thank you, everyone, for stopping by. I don't think I was too radical, but I do feel like I got to be unfiltered and put my thoughts out there. I hope you found them to be common sense type of thinking. But either way, I hope I made you think. If you have families of uh, high achieving or gifted students in your classroom, I would love it if you would invite them to my Families with Gifted Kids Facebook group. That's at facebook.com slash groups slash gifted or high achieving. No spaces on that. 
Um, I think those kind of kids and those families need support, and that's what that group is for.